Hello, I'm Amy Blackthorne, and this is The Blackthorne Grove, a podcast where witchcraft meets with good friends over tea to talk about the nature of magic and community. Today I'll be chatting about a little bit of everything. I have my tea in hand, and I am ready to go. For those of you who are just tuning in for the first time, my name is Amy Blackthorne, and I'm an author of Blackthorne's Botanical Magic, as well as Sacred Smoke, which came out in October 2019. I do have an exciting update for those of you who are listening. The very first announcement that we've gotten out there, I just found my brand new book, Blackthorn's Botanical Brews, is available online for different pre-orders. It's available on Kindle, it's available in Nook, print. Uh, The cover is exquisite. It's a lovely chartreuse green and it looks like an antique absinthe ad. I can't wait for you to see this. There's lots of different materials in there from how to use individual spirits as magical aids. There's about 5,000 words just on absinthe itself. So really figure out what that's going to look like. Entire chapters full of magical preparations for your home and bar. There are also individual recipes for your kitchen. Traditional recipes like kombucha and fire cider and different ways that those can be spruced up magically. It'll let you know what those materials are used for magically as well as how to increase their efficacy both health-wise and spiritually. For every alcoholic use in magic, there will be a sober substitution So that way, our friends who are in recovery, whether you're pregnant, you can't use alcoholic beverages, you are more than welcome and invited to participate. My, both my parents are alcoholics and it's important for me to make sure that my magic is accessible to absolutely everyone. So, the last part, one of my favorite parts, is the inclusion of things to do with your leftover potions. So there are recipes, there are thoughts, processes that maybe you hadn't considered before from magical lollipops to complete dinners. And dinner wouldn't be complete without dessert. So there are, there's cheesecake, there's roasted meats and vegetables, there are sauces to zest up any dinner that you have created and ways to look like you are a gourmet genius. So please check in with your local bookstore, with your independent stores if you have one near you, and your local online retailers as well. Blackthorn's Botanical Brews will be out in October Uh, We're looking at October 1st for the current release date. I'm very excited because that was the release date of Sacred Smoke. And it's going to be a lot of fun to get out there and visit with my friends again. So, today... My tea of the day is called Empathy. 
It's a blend of elderberry, black orange, hibiscus, lemongrass, and it's sweet, warm. You don't really, it doesn't need a lot of sugar, but I'm really excited to see what this does as an iced tea. Summer is right around the corner. I can feel it in my bones, and I can't wait to make a great big pitcher of this iced and just a little sweet. You can find it at blackthornhoodooblends.com in both the small and larger tins. The fabulous teas are all available right there as well as in many local shops. So today's thorn in my side, I really wanted to talk about the excitement and prevalence of home remedies in our community surrounding the coronavirus. A lot of people are worried. They're, they're sort of figuring out their bearings and where they fit both in the world and in their communities. And the good and bad part of that is with such a new virus, even in an older family of viruses, it can be hard to know what to do and what not to do. We're all learning at this point. This is brand new. There's no herd immunity because this has just recently popped up. So whether we're talking about elderberry or not elderberry, there's recipes out there for making your own hand sanitizer because there really isn't any on the shelves anywhere. The moment it's put out, it's snatched right up. Cleaning supplies are getting harder to find here in the U.S. I really want you to use your discernment in looking at these recipes for hand sanitizer. Please, please look at the recommended strength and do the math. Some of the recipes that I've seen out there are too weak to kill viruses or bacteria and can give people a false sense of security. Make sure that whatever recipe you're looking at has the strength that's needed. I want to make sure that you're healthy and well as possible and everyone is as safe as can be. So please do the math on your own. Make sure that you have everything you need. I've seen some great recipes and I've seen some dangerously low efficacy recipes. Please double check your whether it's the CDC or your local healthcare governmental agency and see what the recommended strength is and make sure that your whatever recipe you're following meets those criteria. Please be safe, wash your hands, and stay home if you're sick. So that takes me into my first discussion for the day. How does mental health impact your craft? It's such an important piece of our community puzzle and I wanted to make sure that we're each reaching out not only to each other but to the part of ourselves that lives inside that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis no matter how well-intentioned our friends and family are they're never going to know exactly what's going on in our brain at all times it's just not possible I'm so glad that we are changing the narrative around 
accepting and understanding mental health. Whether you're a neurodiverse person, whether you're dealing with things that maybe your friends and family don't understand, everyone deserves the comfort, safety, and understanding of their religious community. It doesn't make you a bad person, and we're finally moving away from the idea that mental illness can somehow impede your ability to do magic. That's just not the case. It's like any other thing that we deal with, we learn to adapt and overcome. In focusing our intent and going to therapy and taking our medication, we are the best that we are ever going to be by taking care of ourselves. We're getting away from the pop psych memes that say our medications are poison or you know we should just be walking through the woods with a big smile on our face like a tampon commercial. Our mental health is just as important as those who don't deal with neurodiversities that aren't experiencing a crisis. The thing about mental health is that no matter how safe we think we are or how fabulous our life is, mental health can change at any time. Trauma is such a big part of where we are in our lives in this country in this time that it's gotten a lot more understanding gotten a lot easier for people to grasp just exactly what we're dealing with by reaching out to our friends our family our loved ones and explaining to them how they're impacting our mental health our well-being makes it so much easier but when you're dealing with a a large coven or a magical working group that is pretty varied, it can feel alienating. I want to make sure that you understand that you are not alone, that whether it's post-traumatic stress, uh, as in my case, or some of the other really encompassing things, you are not your diagnosis. You are not your medication, and you are not the things that you have done or have happened to you. We're here. We love you. And I want to say it gets better. It sounds trite, I swear. But I can tell you from my experience that there are things that I have dealt with and things that I've been difficult and there were times that I, I wanted to give up but I promise you the things that I would have missed out on if my injuries and my illness had been able to take me from this plane I never would have forgiven myself I love you and I'm here. You are enough just the way you are. When you reach inside yourself 
sometimes you don't have enough to give. Sometimes your resources are running low. Whether it's the, the more popular idea of spoons or spell slots or what have you. Sometimes we need a recharge. And it's not just taking a bubble bath or having a glass of wine. You know, if it was, if it was that easy, we'd have done that already. Making time to recenter yourself, whether it's in your practice, by sort of trying to keep to a daily meditative space, even just taking a minute with some incense and a candle, make sure that allowing yourself as much care and time and consideration as you possibly can. I tell my tarot clients this at least once every reading. You cannot pour from an empty cup. No matter how much you love and care for your your friends, your family, the people that are around you, you cannot give them something you don't have. Your best friend in the whole world comes to you and says, Hey, I, I forgot my lunch home. Do you mind if I give you if I borrow five dollars to, to get some lunch? If you don't have it, you cannot give it to them. And at the very least, give yourself as much consideration as you would give your closest friends. It's hard. I will absolutely not lie to you. But it is so worth it. We're here for you. So, today is now Wednesday. And we are officially outside of the Mercury Retrograde Panic. The issues that it has brought up, the ways that we have interacted with each other, the people that have tried to come back into our lives, this is the hallmark of the retrograde. But it gets a lot of slack. There's a lot of fear or animosity that happens anytime Mercury goes retrograde. Because it's the most recognizable. It's the one that has the, the most PR. Because it happens the most frequently during our year, it gives people a little bit of a license to roll their eyes and sigh dramatically. Oh, again? But remember that our retrograde periods give us a chance to clear up, to sweep up, to declutter, both our physical and mental and emotional well-being. It gives us time to clear up old projects. It gives you the opportunity to really let some of those things develop in your mind before rushing out to do them right away. I was very amused that I had this undying urge to really get into creating this podcast in the middle of a retrograde. And it wasn't because I was just starting it, because I had already done an episode before the retrograde started. It was the idea of clearing up some emotional baggage from the past and being able to give a voice to it somewhere where not only would people I know, but people across the world would be able to understand both some of the things I've dealt with and some of the things that are prevalent in our community, whether or not they can physically be there. So give yourself the opportunity to look at Mercury Retrograde as 
the stop and clean up. Getting that refreshing in your home before spring really arrives. Think of it more as a spring cleaning than as a disaster waiting to happen. And I promise you will find the way that it affects you will be much more manageable. I get so many creative ideas that I've sort of popped up in the past, but now it's time to be given their full consideration just at that time when we have the choice, the ability, and the time to really delve deeper into ourselves to figure out what deserves our time and what projects need a little bit more time on the back burner to fully develop. Just like a good sauce, it's got to simmer. Let those ideas simmer in the back while you clean up your space, add a little air to your rooms, and make sure that you are really getting down in there, digging up those gems, making sure that they're ready. One of the things that has really stuck with me during my practice is the idea of ageism. It's hard to fight, especially in a small community. I found my craft at a very, very young age. I was going through this, this very specific time where I was looking outside of myself for something. And I found it in a book in my sister's book bag. I found Wicca Guide for Solitary Practitioner. And whether or not Wicca is your thing or it isn't is beside the point. The age at which I found my voice, I feel has been really difficult to get my ideas across without the veil of my age being in the way. As I have said, the minute I turned 18, I ran out and I joined the first coven I could find. Never do that. <laughs> It was a valuable experience. I learned a lot about myself and a lot about what I want and don't want in magical working groups or in, uh, in partners in magic. It taught me a lot about my community. But it also really drove home the point that I would never be more than my accomplishments if I didn't really fight for it. My very first high priestess, 18 years old, accepts me on as a dedicant. But it wasn't the right fit. She was in her middle 50s and working as an emergency room nurse in a very busy major metropolitan area. And she didn't see a competent person. She saw an 18-year-old. No matter how long I've been practicing, no matter how many tests I passed, to get to where I was, I was her very first student who did not go through her Wicca 101. So in, in her eyes, 
that seems to make me a little less. Even though I passed all of the entrance exams, we'll say. It was harder for her to take me seriously as a student because I hadn't been shaped by her, so to speak. And even five years after our initial meeting for my dedicancy, there were still days when I felt this verbal pat on the head that my emotions, my feelings, my thoughts were never going to be taken seriously because of the age I was when I came to this coven. With Wicca being such a young practice, it leads itself to being a little bit more attractive to someone who is young. It's not about rebellion, and it wasn't about making a statement. It was really about finding a connection with myself and understanding my place in the world around me. I would really love to see more time spent bringing in people who are younger and honoring that they have a voice, that they have experience, and that they are valid. Just because they have less experience than uh, someone twice or three times their age doesn't mean that their experiences are any less valid. I'd really love to be able to find some of that and bring it forward into our community. I will admit that there have been times when you when you see someone who is younger and excited, it can be a little much. <laughs> it can absolutely be you you have a wry grin and you oh the the excitement of youth. But it really is something, they do have something to say, something to contribute. And a lot of that time, it's perspective. Just because the world was a certain way when we found our craft, whether it was five years ago, ten years ago, or twenty-five years ago, or longer, that doesn't mean that there isn't change and evolution. Not just in our communities, in our workplaces, but in the very small pieces of our individual communities. Look at the changeover in the population for a good indication of what your community is doing as far as magical evolution. If you have a large population, if you have a lot of turnover in that population, expect newer ideas to come into those places and those practices because of the people who are coming in, we'll say from the outside, outside your, your geographical area. Each time we reach for those pieces and those parts, they bring new lifeblood to our communities. And that can be a great thing. Anything that doesn't grow dies, right? Just give yourself some time and perspective. I saw and I, I cross-posted it a lovely blog article from Courtney Weber last night. 
about event, uh, what is it, things that authors just wish you wouldn't do. And it was really validating to see someone else echoing the sentiments that I had had myself sometimes, whether it's someone opening a copy of your book and really destroying it and deciding, nope, I don't actually have any money to buy this. I'll, I'll look at it sometime later. But they've already destroyed the beautiful copy of your book in front of you. For those of you who have not yet written a book, it's very singular feeling knowing that something you've written will outlast you. It will still be in print, it will still be in the physical realm long after we have left it. No matter how many copies of a particular book you sell, each copy still feels like one of my children. I mean, it's we, we call it book birthing for a reason. You spend months and years working with these words and watching them form themselves into this entire, we'll say being, because at some point it, it becomes a fully realized thing that goes out into the world. And the funny thing is, when it goes out into the world, it's no longer yours. Yes, it's copywritten and it belongs to me because I wrote it. But when Blackthorn's Botanical Magic was first released, I had to very quickly realize that when your book goes out into the world, it starts being read by people. It's no longer yours in the, the way that you don't have control over where it goes or what it does, or what people think about it, or what people feel about it. And most often, those thoughts and feelings really don't have a whole lot to do with you. It has to do with their perception of their life, their time on this planet, their, their own personal experiences in life, the universe and everything. But it takes on a life of its own. Whether you have your work plagiarized, which it, there is no greater sin among writers. Uh, my dear Cindy Brannon, who I absolutely adore, and we got to meet each other over brunch at Mystic South in 2019, has been having some issues in that realm. So please make sure you check out her work and support her keeping her keys. Uh, it's a fantastic book. The way that she writes about Hecate is... It makes the hair on my arms stand up. She's a really lovely human. I... Love the way that we get to, to talk with each other, to interact with each other as, as authors and writers. But once our work goes out into the world, we really don't have a whole lot of say in where it goes. We can, after the fact, we can fight these things. But in, the, in that moment, it's a lot harder to have agency over those, those times and locations. The best thing, advice I can give you is to make sure that you're not the one doing the plagiarizing. Because witches take that very personally. Probably a little bit more so than 
authors who don't have the agency to act and react to those transgressions. The classroom etiquette piece is one of the things that really sparked the, the idea in my brain. It's one of the most difficult things an author can do or, and should do is presenting their material to their peers, to the public. And some people do that during classes and tours. Some people do that by going to conferences and lecturing for wider audiences. Some don't do any at all. And some do all of it. I spent most of 2019 on the road. I was, actually, I was starting to feel like I saw my suitcase more than I saw my puppies, uh, Millie and Lilu. Uh, so it can be difficult after a while, sort of figuring out where the pros and cons are for going out on the road. I love it. I, I joke with my friends, I've, I've driven six hours for soup, so <laughs> going out on the road was, was easy. It's not the travel that's hard. It takes a lot of mental, emotional, and even physical, because books are heavy, strength to spend time on the road, going to visit individual shops, learning and seeing all your shining faces and trying to remember whose face I saw at what conference where it's it's it takes a lot of mental energy when we're running around at conferences it's so hard to juggle the load of remembering what time your class starts and then what time does this section stop and what time how much time do I have between my session ending and this next session starting. There's always the mad rush to the front of the room when there's been a good workshop. There's a lot of engagement. People really want to talk to you. They want to tell you their stories and they want to have that one-on-one -on -one time with you. Hopefully they purchase your books. They, they talk to you about the impact that their work has had on their life. And that was definitely something I was not prepared for. I've been the person who is so affected and wanting to share that with the author of whatever work I was supporting at that point. But I didn't know how much it would affect me to hear those stories from other people. Knowing that, you know, you spent a year looking at the four walls of your office or the local coffee shop or wherever you do your writing. And then your book goes out fully formed into the world and then it has this impact on people that you never could have expected. The, the tears that come from people who you've never met who feel like they know you because they can hear your voice in their head. That's something I should have expected. But I didn't know what kind of an impact that would make on me. And so we want to give each story and each feeling and each face its own time and attention but it is so hard if there's five minutes between the end of my lecture and the beginning of the next one you want to be polite and responsible and make sure that the next person has the room that they need when they need it just as you it was presented to you 
So make sure the next time you're able to see a, a shining face at a conference that you're able to sort of read the situation first. Uh, make sure that if they're trying to get out into the hall, maybe it's that's a better place for you to have your one-on-one chat. You know, if there's if there's a line of people, we we want to honor your experience. But it can be difficult to feel like we can give you all of the space and attention that you need for your experience. We want to honor you in that way, but we also want to make sure that everyone else in the line gets a minute too before we either have to exit the room or we have to rush off to the next event. There's, no matter how much lead time we get between classes, it seems like there's never enough. And that's okay. There's email, there's Facebook, there's so many other contact methods. I know the face-to-face is exciting and really validating for many people. Uh, I'm one of them. I've, I've been an avid reader since I was a very, very young lady. It can be really exhilarating and exciting and just make sure that we're taking some time to notice what's going on around us before jumping in with both feet. There can be a lot of people waiting in line or the ability to make everyone happy can be fleeting at best so we we of course we love you and we support you we want to make sure that you understand how much we appreciate you just make sure that we have the ability to give you the time that you deserve there's been some discussion for years I'd say I I started having discussions about this with people 20 years ago when I started reading tarot for money. There's ideas that permeate our culture and permeate our community regularly. It comes through in cycles. And it revolves around taking payment for spirituality. Money and magic or money and counseling. Money and anything. We talk about money being the root of all evil. Which... It turns out the root of all evil is very tasty. <laughs> I shared a meme a few years ago about the root of all evil when steeped would probably make a really nice tea. And the members of the Blackthorn Hoodoo Blends Facebook page all insisted that I create a tea called the root of all evil. And so it's licorice and there's a few other roots in there with some peppermint and lemongrass, a little bit of just a hint of black tea it almost smells like banana bread so apparently the the root of all evil when steeped makes a really lovely tea but the idea of money and magic is very tricky as with all things ethics are very very personal and there it's important to make sure that those ideas are understood on a one-to-one level Everyone has their own personal ideas about the evil of money. But I will say, everyone has bills to pay. Everyone has things that they need in their life. 
even if they were somehow magically independently wealthy, their time is also worth. And I want to always say worth like it's a it's a capital W. Um, make sure that you have the space and the time to understand that just because you have a need doesn't mean that everyone has the ability to give you the time and attention if they aren't being paid for it. Whether you're a person who takes magic um, and, and money simultaneously, or I have a very specific idea that I work with, when I am being paid for my services, I am being paid for my time. I am being paid for my materials. I am not being paid for the magic that I perform. Everyone looks at it differently. But the time that I put into my schooling, into my expanding my knowledge base, into the equipment that I'm using, you know, none of that stuff is free. And it, it takes time and materials to make sure that those things are effective. There are limits. I, you know, living here in Delaware, it's a very small state. You get to learn a lot about your neighbors and about the, the local businesses that you frequent. And a few years ago, the salon where I was getting my hair cut, this family-owned, very small spa, one of the young ladies who was a part of the spa, was, you know, as a family business, had, was, was crying. And so, as a, as a counselor, I went over and I said, you know, hey, you know, are you, are you okay? What can I, what can I do? The, the priestess part of me just yearns to make sure that she's okay. And it turns out that her sister had been taken for a very, very, a large sum of money. Large is a, a very relative term. But this woman who claims to be a psychic, of course, had the thought idea. Oh my goodness, you, you're, I see a dark cloud around you. You've been, you've been cursed. And of course, she has offered to remove that curse for the low, low price of $35,000. I think I dropped my phone. <laughs> this poor young woman was in her early to mid-twenties and lost everything she had ever had. Because all she knew was that a professional told her, oh yes, I'm, you were, you were just, someone is jealous of you, someone's put a curse on you, someone hates you, someone, there's always someone, someone, someone. And because we're human, and we, we sort of are always evaluating where our time is, where our energy is spent, there's always going to be someone we expect, we suspect, or we fear isn't who they say they are. So there are always limits. I, I did work with her sister and her family in exchange for her cuts. And I, I, read, I read cards for them. I wanted to make sure that they knew that not everyone who practiced their intuitive gifts would operate in such a way. Happily, this woman was 
apprehended by the police and charged with fraud, defrauding her with for thousands, tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, they, of course, found many other victims of this, this scheme that she had going on. And is, as far as I know, still in jail, in prison, excuse me, there's a difference. But that does not mean that everyone is a bad person, A. We don't, we try and stay away from generalisms. But it doesn't mean that my time and my experience are not worth paying for my, my first high priestess. It was one of the things, because she owned a witchcraft shop, she wanted, she made sure that I understood people value what they pay for something. And it was a very interesting lesson for me. I hadn't even, I'd never thought of it before. I'd never really understood where she was coming from until that moment when people are forced to pay for something, it puts a specific value on it. In Reiki, they talk about an exchange of energy. That could be money. That could be you pulling weeds in my garden or mowing the lawn. It's a way to keep people from taking advantage, frankly. As a young woman who wanted to visit with her friends and enjoy their company, there was more than one party where myself and a another magical practitioner with whom I, I shared an acquaintance wound up in the back bedroom in counseling sessions over tarot cards for hours. You know, we, we wound up sequestered in the back room, you know, playing therapy time with our, our uh, divination tools of choice rather than enjoying the party, rather than enjoying time with our friends, rather than spending time with our family, rather than, rather than, rather than, because they weren't being asked to have that exchange of energy. It made it so much easier to take. As a more experienced practitioner now, I know better. We, the better boundaries make better friends, just like fences make good neighbors. Boundaries are, I'm sad to say, sadly lacking in a lot of our community. And we make that better by modeling good boundaries for others. By making sure that they understand that we are there for them and we appreciate and understand what they're dealing with. To make sure that we are honoring our own energetic needs and not putting too much out there and not without recharging your own reserves and being paid for our time and materials is one of the ways that we do that. Again, my name is Amy Blackthorn. This has been the Blackthorn Grove. You can find me at amyblackthorn.com. 
My tea is available at blackthornhoodooblends.com. There are Facebook pages for both, where you will find fabulous memes and irreverent humor. There will be contact forms available if you have questions. And of course, there is our podcast page on find, on Facebook, The Blackthorn Grove Podcast. There's also a private Facebook group for fans of the podcast that's available under the same name, just listed as a group. We're currently available on Apple Podcasts, on the Anchor app, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and probably a few others. The updated list is always available at amyblackthorn.com. Just click on the podcast link. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you very much. Remember, we are all trees in the same forest. Nurture each other. <laughs>